Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. When it's time to hear the voice of change, we have to listen. And I think it's extremely important because if we value each other and we all appreciate how different we are, even if we don't understand someone else's point of view, we respect them as a human and we value how they want to present themselves to the world, that becomes just a base level of human-to-human respect that we all need to have for each other. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. When you open a restaurant, you're investing in more than a business. You're investing in a community. And as we change and evolve as individuals, so do our communities. And few places more beautifully illustrate this capacity to change more than Portland, Oregon. Today, we chat with Portland's adopted son, celebrity chef Gregory Gourdet. Instead of staking his claim in his hometown of New York or following the trends out to Los Angeles, Gregory has chosen to walk a more complicated path, using his talent and his food to help mend together a community that is still struggling to become the best version of itself. Well, for me, I actually started cooking quite late. I would say like I was a latecomer to the cooking game in the sense that I didn't grow up cooking really. My sister actually has memories of me cooking quite a bit when I was younger, but I think she has a better memory of our youth than I do because I remember cooking like a couple things like eggs. I remember like baking a cake once and it was like so bad that we buried it in the backyard when we were kids. (laughs) But I don't remember helping my mom cook that much, but my mom actually cooked quite a bit. She worked multiple jobs, but she always had dinner on the table. And if not, we were being watched by either my grandmother or an aunt and they always fed us as well. But for me, it would really took going to college and I went to University of Montana and living there on my own for the first time, paying rent for the first time and having to feed myself on my little college job budget. And that's really kind of where my college journey began. I was just a scrappy college kid and trying to make ends meet and just putting whatever I could in my body. We would go to the farmer's market in Missoula, Montana. I went to school and we just like make potatoes and pasta because it was like cheap and filling, you know, but I would read cookbooks like the Moosewood cookbook, like all those like old school vegetarian cookbooks and just read recipes and try to make food. So I would cook for my friends and it really was my friends kind of being like, hey, this is like really good. Hey, you're good at this. You should probably consider doing this for a living. And Specifically, my friend Claire, she really was like, you should cook as a job. So I actually went and started washing dishes at one of the best restaurants. It was called the Hobnob Cafe. And it was kind of like this like cool little quirky cafe in Missoula, Montana. And it was like 1994 or something like a long, long time ago. And I just started washing dishes there. And I would cook a little bit between dishes and the chef. So I had some passion for it. 
At the same time, I also was cooking at this deli. It's called Freddy's Feed and Read. And it was like a bookstore in a deli. And my mentor there, she was this woman named Celeste. And she was like this huge deadhead. And she just taught me how to like make pasta salads and have enough oil so it was nice and shiny. And when I was making sandwiches, make sure like the mayonnaise goes all the way to the corners of the edge of the bread and make sure it's stacked evenly. So all these kind of like little tips and tricks that make perfect sense still today. And it was those two jobs that kind of got me on the path. Charles, who was the chef at the restaurant I was washing dishes, suggested I go to culinary school. And I was literally in my fourth year of college and my third major. And I just decided that's something that I wanted. I did pre-med. I did a lot of biology. And I actually graduated with a degree in French. And then I finally went to boarding school. Or excuse me, I finally went to culinary school. Because honestly, I feel like back then, especially from growing up in an immigrant family, like being a chef, Back then, being a chef didn't have the same weight as it does today, the same popularity, I would say, as it does today. It was like pre-Food Network and pre-Celebrity like Chef, quote unquote, and all these things that we have today because of just modern times. And when I was a kid, I was always thought I wanted to be a doctor. So it was a pretty big path change. And just knowing about culinary school and convincing my parents that it was the right move. And the thing is, like when I started culinary school, it was the best thing ever. It literally was the first time that I felt I was having the best time in school and I was doing something that I was really passionate about. And I loved my classes. I devoured being there and I was super nerdy about it. And it just made sense from day one. And the day you get out of culinary school, you're like cha-ching, right? Because like, that's what they tell you. They're like, bro, you're going to make so much money when you get out of here. You're going to be well, so rich. Starting salary is 150000 Yeah, right probably make like $10 an hour back then. <laughs> no, I mean, for me, I actually did my internship at Jean-Georges. So even before I graduated from school, I kind of had like this thinking that of what life on the outside could be like. So I did a few months at Jean-Georges and I think they do a really good job there of putting you on the line. You were like working a station. I was like working entremet by the end of my intern, prepping, working the line. So it was pretty immersive in a major way. And I actually started working at Jean-Georges a, a week after I graduated from culinary school. I went back to Jean-Georges and I worked there for him at three of his restaurants for about six and a half years. What were the lessons you took away from that? From the experience as a whole? Well, yeah. So you worked there for six and a half years and I would assume that you take lessons on two sides, right? Like one is this is the kind of chef I want to be. And then the other is this is the kind of career I want to have. And I'm curious to know, what was your vision when you left that business? It was, I mean, literally the, my formative years to like graduate culinary school and then to start working there a week later. It really was about going back there, relearning how to cut a shallot because what they taught me was different than what I learned at culinary school learning how to poach a piece of lobster, learning how to get a piece of chicken skin super crispy. All these things that you should learn in culinary school, it was extremely reinforced working there. And over the course of all that time, I worked at Jean George itself for about five years. I worked at New Team, which is the cafe. I worked at every station in both restaurants. I was a sous chef in both restaurants. So it was quite a bit of time. I think the earliest lesson that I personally learned was just being extremely passionate about my commitment to my work ethic. And this is another time, but totally worked off the clock all the time. And like no one asked us to work off the clock, but it was just this passion within us to, hey, we have this huge prep list. 
We're so excited to go to work. We're going to go and get this done. We're going to go in like 10 a.m. on Saturday morning, even though we're not supposed to clock in until 2. We're just going to work and we're going to have a great service. And that was really the mentality that I had, you know, and I think there's a different mentality today. But for me, it was fun. I really enjoyed doing that. I really enjoyed taking the time to have my station set up super tight, feeling confident that I could spend the day cooking. There'd be a couple of us in there doing that. And I think for me, it just really set the tone of my work ethic and doing whatever you need to get the job done. I also think that I feel very lucky and grateful that I had a really great experience because I feel a lot of stories have come out of people who haven't had great experiences working in fine dining restaurants. And for me, I had a tremendous experience and I'm still very close to my mentors. I talk to them quite often. I visit them whenever I'm back in New York City. And to have someone take you under their wing and to be able to work with them in terms of recipe development, in terms of creating flavors, in terms of creating signature dishes for the restaurant that is still served today. Some of the dishes that we worked on when I worked there as a cook and as a sous chef are still on the menu. Um, They're on the menu all around the world. So it was like a really important time for the company and is a really important time for me. I learned a lot and I'm extremely grateful for those opportunities. So I feel very lucky that I had such a great experience. And overall, it was hard. There were days that I cried, but I think it instilled a great sense of work ethic and it really set the tone for what I think my career could be. Because what I got out of that is my desire to be a mentor. And today, I mean, there's so many facets of being a chef in terms of connecting with the community in turn connecting with the farmers and the growers and all that good stuff. But for me, where my passion lies today is being the mentor to my teammates that my mentor was to me. And that is like the lasting lesson out of all of that, that I want people to have the relationship with me that I had with my mentor in like 10, 20, 15 years. And that's something I strive for. What extends past the people that you work with directly on a daily basis? Because you're a celebrity. You're like someone that is in the public domain. And I'm curious to know, how has that affected the way you lead, the way you behave, the way you run your businesses? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, I'm actually like a pretty private person. I get that vibe. (laughs) After being on a show like Top Chef and like doing TV and doing TEDx and being very open about my sobriety, there have been a lot of opportunities for me to be very vulnerable and to be very out there. And I get that. And I totally appreciate all those opportunities because they're great for business and they help support my projects. Because at the end of the day, anything that helps get people to our restaurants is extremely helpful. But I think also there comes a lot of weight because there is a high expectation. Oh, he's this celebrity chef or He's this really well-known chef in town. So there's a very high expectation probably when you come to work for me of what things can be like. And in the past, I worked at a very, very busy restaurant in Portland. And we had a lot of cooks and not everyone has been thrilled with their experience working with me. And that's something that I have to live with. So I think it's ever more important that what happens behind closed doors is, you know, not that I work on having this image. I'm just myself in all forms. And what you see publicly is I'm not trying to create an image of myself, but I do want people to feel that when they do work for me, what they had hoped for is what they get. And I feel very lucky that I have a lot of cooks and chefs 
who have been in my life for quite some time and they know my palate and we work together really well and I get to work with them still. So that means a lot to me. I want to connect dots between two seemingly unrelated things, your weight loss and the current state of our industry. <laughs> okay. Um, I swear, <laughs> stay with me. I can do this. Oh, yeah, I'm listening. All right. So whenever anyone goes through like a big physical transformation, everyone wants to know how they did it, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, you lost so much weight. And like, it's because you ate right and you exercised, mm-hmm. right? Which speaks to the point that some things are very simple, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're easy. And ultimately, the secret sauce in so many of these things comes down to discipline. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the same could be true of our industry. You look at these broken business models with these super slim margins, and most people are working for free or paying to work for free. And we could write all of this. We run these businesses, right? So if we're running high labor. We could fix that through pricing or through more efficient modeling or through changing our service model. It's all within our control. And yet it seems so overwhelming is someone that one has created an amazing physical transformation and is two opening a business. I'm curious to know, did the physical transformation, seeing that you could do something that is very simple yet very difficult to execute, inform how you're choosing to open your restaurant? Did I do it? Did I link those two things together? Did I do a good job? There's a good relationship here. The way that I think is that I always want things to be the best that they can. And I truly believe that you cannot give too much. I am an extremely passionate person. The things that I believe in, I will work myself to the bone to produce and I will not be tired. And even if I am tired, I will be happy because I believe the sense of completion for me offers me a sense of joy. It brings me happiness. It gives me gratitude. So like, there's no task too big to finish a project for me. And it's also having the confidence in knowing that you can achieve something. For me, my way has gone up and down. Like when I got sober almost 13 years ago now, I went through this huge transformation. I changed my diet. I started running. I did all these things and I lost a shit ton of weight and I was living on cloud nine because I was newly sober. And then over the course of like six, seven years, work was just so intense that you can't do everything all the time. You can't have everything all the time. So I chose work over just exercise and taking care of myself oftentimes. And I feel there's righteousness in a time and place for everything. Sometimes we have to work more and sometimes we have more free time and like, it's okay. So I've lost weight like multiple times. I loved food. (laughs) I have a huge sweet tooth (laughs) and I'm a workaholic. I know that about myself. So if I have to work a 14 hour day, four days in a row, just to be able to get on a plane and go do an event in London for four days. That's just what it's going to be for that week or two, you know, and multiply that by a few weeks. And then my training is off, my weight is up, etc. So, I mean, my last weight gain was very much due to a running injury and just like the, the pandemic and gyms closing and, you know, just the emotional weight of the pandemic, etc. But for me, I knew that I could lose weight and I could do it. And mentally, just trying to run on all cylinders in terms of having the gift of time to open this restaurant because this restaurant has been four years in the planning and we are about a year and a half delayed because of the pandemic. And with all the lessons that we learned from Black Lives Matter to the restaurant reckoning, 
I'm really, really taking my time and trying to be really, really careful in, in the steps that we take to open this restaurant. So I think just having that regimen and that discipline in my personal life, it's really helped me just try to have that regimen, that discipline in the way that we're thinking about opening this restaurant. And by that, I mean, taking all the lessons that we've learned and really taking the time to apply it to lessons in diversity, lessons in equity, lessons in making women feel that there's advancement and room for leadership positions and there's no glass ceiling and having discussions about pay equity and tip versus service charge, you know, all these huge things that make up the restaurant and have become very kind of complex issues within our industry and wanting to push forward. Prior to the pandemic, I could barely use my iPhone. I'm a restaurateur, not a tech guru. But over the last two years, we've seen that tech can play a vital role in helping us make more money and save money. And that tech can show up at some pretty unlikely places, like your kitchen sink. Dawn Professional is a detergent and degreaser that can help reduce your labor expense and your overhead on cleaning supplies through leveraging the latest technological innovation in cleaning products. Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy Duty Degreaser is specifically formulated to cut grease two times faster versus the leading food service degreasers. While Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, reducing sink changeover versus the leading competitor's professional dish soap. Save time and money by upgrading to Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent and Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy-Duty Degreaser from PNG Professional. I feel extremely lucky that at the start of the pandemic, I wasn't at a restaurant because I quit my last job at the end of 2019. So for all of 2020s, I was actually supposed to be researching, traveling to Haiti, traveling all around the country, just like learning about American food and seafood and barbecue, because all these are kind of like influences of the restaurant. But none of that happened. You know, I was stuck at home with everyone. But I was able to finish my cookbook and I was able to do a pop up in the middle of the pandemic before we even had vaccines. And we set up 10 yurts outside in Portland weather, and we were able to serve almost 5,000 people. They came and sat in yurts outside in the parking lot. So I was able to see quite a bit throughout the pandemic. And for me to do things right, it's really about looking at all those little bits and pieces that are extremely important in moving our industry forward and listening to all the voices that have spoken up over the past couple of years and all the things that have gone wrong. and being active and diligent about doing my part to make sure that what we try to set up at con is the right thing for everyone. Were there any gut punches during that time? Personally, I ran nightclubs in the early 2000s in Hollywood. You can only imagine. (laughs) It was. It was totally rad. I would never take it back. It was awesome. I mean, you've got to think. It was like, you know, celebrities were celebrities, but then there were also like these reality TV celebrities. It was like the heyday. Oh my God. It was amazing. That's it was so really the yachts. <laughs> <laughs> right. The clothing, the music, it was a really good time in my life, but it was also a very interesting time in the industry. And when you look at the advent of the me too movement and the BLM movement, I look back at my time and I would argue through the first 10 to 15 years of my career. And I would say I was working in a very different industry with a very different perspective. And for me, especially when the Me Too movement hit, for me personally, it was like a gut punch. What I regretted 
most after seeing everything that came out and all of that was the fact that like I saw things. I was never an active participant, but like I saw things that were wrong and inappropriate. I was raised right. So like I understood that there was sexual harassment and discrimination in some of the places that I worked and that it was institutionalized. And honestly, I didn't say anything because I was scared. Mm -hmm. I was afraid to rock the boat. Nobody else really seemed to have a problem with it. But, you know, for months and even till this day, like I have a three and a half year old daughter now, and that certainly informs a lot as well. I have so much guilt for the fact that I didn't speak up and so much guilt for not doing what I should have known to be right and done and been brave. And I could give you a thousand reasons why I didn't, but they all kind of boil down to, I was just afraid. Sure. And I'm curious to know, like, was there any of that for you? Because I mean, Portland was like a boiling point for kind of all of that when it happened. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the reckoning was like pretty big here. It was pretty hot. Yeah. I mean, people came forward with issues with where we used to work. And for me, I 100% felt it was not my place to argue, question, push back. It was definitely a time to listen. What disappointed me the most was that some of it was just never discussed with me. And I think that was the hardest part I had with it. And in a place where we're asking for a conversation, we're asking to talk to each other about these issues. We're looking for solutions. We're looking for people to have face-to-face, person-to-person conversation about what happened and how it could be better. I felt I wasn't getting that for some people. And I feel like if you are not willing to have a very challenging face-to-face conversation with someone, but you are willing to bash them online that you're not actually looking for a solution, you're more looking for revenge. So I think that's the most complex piece of it. And I don't mean to diffuse anything that was directed towards me, but I think it's important that we have to keep this industry moving forward because there are plenty of us who love our industry and will do anything for it. And that also means moving forward and accepting change and trying to do the right thing. So I think that communication piece was lacking in a lot of that moment in time, which was just about a year and a half ago. So what I seek in communication is honest face-to-face, person-to-person conversations. And that takes courage. I think typing behind a screen does not take as much courage as having a face-to-face conversation with someone. And that's what needs to happen for change to really happen. And that's what I ask of my employees, my coworkers. Sometimes I get it. It's been a little bit better, but I think we can all agree that we need to have that person-to-person conversation and we can't be afraid of having these conversations. And even if we are afraid of having these conversations, listen, I have tons of anxiety myself about a lot of things and it's never debilitating, but it's there. But we need to have these conversations in order to move forward because it's a two-way street. It's not leaders and people under us. It's not cooks and chefs. It's, It's all of us working together to make this industry better, no matter what generation we're in, no matter what age group we're in, and no matter what position we're in. We all have to work together to move our industry forward. We're shaped by the cities that raised us. I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I am certain you can smell it all over me. (laughs) Um, I get it, man. Like I am Southern Louisiana to a T. 
And I love it. And there's so much I love about it and how it shaped me and how it shaped my worldview. And I'm curious to know, because Portland has a personality in the same way Southern yeah. Louisiana yeah. has a personality. Mm-hmm. How did it shape you? Like, what does the Portland stank smell like? Yeah, I'm a New Yorker. So I've been in Portland. It'll be 15 years this June, which is pretty awesome. But I'm a New Yorker, like, you know, and I just have a huge drive, which is very common for people in New York City. I'm extremely passionate. But I have been living in the Pacific Northwest for the past 15 years. I have been living in Portland. I love Portland, Oregon. Every time I visit somewhere else, people ask me why I live in Portland, Oregon. And they ask me how many black people live there. I get that question (laughs) quite a bit, even to this day. But I also love change. I'm the type of person that I appreciate change. And I'm not scared of change. And I think it's important that we all know that when there needs to be change, we need to be able to look change in the face and accept it because I've 100% had bosses and people above me who literally do not want to change with the times. You know, it could be glaring situations like where I used to work, there's a dress policy and all the women had to wear dresses and the conversations about the binary have changed so quickly, you know, and it's not anything new. So to have a policy where we wouldn't have to wear dresses is extremely archaic, you know, and extremely sexist. And this is just an example of a situation where I tried to fight for something. It's like either there can be a dress uniform and there can be a pant uniform. And whoever you are, whatever gender you identify as, you can just pick whatever uniform you want to wear. And you can just wear, you wear this one or you wear that one. These are like situations that go through my head about things that I've tried to fight for. And when people were above me, I was not successful. And getting that point across so i'm excited to just kind of one of the things that lead me to like finally wanting to do my own thing and, and run my own restaurant and, and have my own business but that's just like a small example of some people don't want to change sometimes people in power do not want to change and when it's time to hear the voice of change we have to listen and i think it's extremely important because if we value each other and we all appreciate how different we are even if we don't understand someone else's point of view, we respect them as a human and we value their life and we value their opinion and we value how they want to present themselves to the world. I think it's extremely important. And like that becomes just a base level of human to human respect that we all need to have for each other. I love that. I also want to talk about the opening of your restaurant because I think we've covered it ideologically, right? Mm-hmm. But practically, I'm curious to know what kind of chef owner do you want to be? There are chef owners out there that work the line five days a week, seven days a week, like they're in it. They're the chefs that are there to like teach and mentor and they're not actively cooking, but they're helping to make their cooks better and they spend time on the floor. And obviously it's going to open. All of these plans are going to go out the window and you're going to be fucking buried (laughs) for like 90, (laughs) right? 90 to 120 days where you're like weeping in the employee restroom just because you just need a minute. And we've all been there. Yeah. But what is your vision? Like, what does your role look like in your restaurant? For sure. I've thought of it quite a bit, honestly. And for me, how we started the top of our talk today, and I really want Khan to be this place where everyone who works there really thinks it's the best place they ever worked. Because I know Jean George is the best place I ever worked. I'm still inspired by the food, the cooking lessons I learned there. I still implement them today. 
I've passed those on to my young cooks. I talk to my mentor, if not weekly, monthly. There's just a lot that I gain there. And I've even been inspired by the design of the restaurant and designing my restaurant. But holistically, I just want people to work at Khan and really be like, this is the best place I ever worked because I learned this about myself here. I learned how to push myself in this way. I learned I was not good at this, but I worked on it. And all the learnings that I got at Khan, even if they leave in a two years, three years, if leave after you won, they can take those learnings and apply them to something later on in life. And I, as someone who's been in the spotlight, the pandemic really taught me that I have everything that I ever want in life. And I will always be okay, just because I know deep down inside, like I will always fight for myself. So for me, it truly is about sharing the spotlight on the teammates at this point and making sure that they feel that they are part of the conversation in the public way. They feel like they're regretting the credit that they rightfully deserve in terms of their work that they're doing. And that I want to make sure everyone who comes into dying knows that it's not just me. It's not just my vision. And yes, I'm the driving force behind it. The actual work gets done by a large team of people. And without them, this restaurant will not exist. So my plan is to work as much as possible for the first year and to be there as much as possible for the first year and to expedite and to see every single plate of food and every single guest that walks into the restaurant for a year. And then after a year, I really want to have it set up. So my chef, Aranya, and whoever our sous chef ends up being and the lead cooks really can run that restaurant. And it becomes a huge stepping stone of growth for them. It really gives them the tools they need to kind of take their careers to the next level in terms of what they know. So the next step for them would be them running that restaurant with me there less. And then just taking that knowledge and just holding on to the knowledge until it's time for them to do their own thing. Do you see more restaurants? Is that the goal? Is it more restaurants or is it new verticals? I'm open to opening con in other cities. I think con LA would be amazing. Con New York would be amazing. And then I'm also thinking of a health cafe concept because health is a big part of my life. And I feel there's some space in Portland, Oregon for a health cafe, which is kind of modernized and is alternative. It's allergen friendly, gluten free, dairy free offers something for like the entire day, but really draws in more cultural influences. So you have like great Thai dressings and Haitian marinades and fried plantains and yuca and like more ethnically diverse dishes represent a healthscape because I do feel there's tons of allergen friendly, super food focused, delicious food from all different cultures from all around the world. And that would make great kind of healthy eating. And I think health is something that's never going to go out of style. So I want to talk about something that I believe to be true, but it may or may not be true. <laughs> you watch a little bit of TV and it looks like, so I'm friends with Naisha Arrington. I would argue we're best friends. I'm sure she would say differently, <laughs> but I've known her for years. She's a total badass. And I love her too. I have like the biggest yeah. chef crush on her. <laughs> oh my God. She's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But like you watch TV and it's like you and Naisha and Antonio LaFaso and Brooke Williams and, and. Kwame, and like, I just wonder, is there like a clubhouse where like young, talented, cool celebrity chefs hang out? <laughs> like, honestly, like, are you in your own WhatsApp group? Is there like a. No, no. Like a, I mean, no. Yeah, you are. 
I mean, we had Kwame's event. Kwame got us all together over the last summer with his event, Family Reunion. Mm-hmm. Kind of black and brown focus food festival so that was very amazing for sure i mean we've all been on multiple things together you know especially like as black lives matter broke out we we're all on a lot of calls together and presentations together i mean we all work together within that group there's multiple streams of group texts for sure it's nice i think there are so many amazing parts of this industry that sometimes we forget about because we're just like so into the nitty gritty of just trying to survive and being able to call Mashama or text her and be like, Hey, I'm sending my parents down there. Can you make sure to take care of them? And she's like, absolutely. Or to be able to chat with Kwame about his event and be a part of the planning process and be on like the advisory board for the first like black and brown food festival in the country. There have been so many amazing moments over the past few years. Nina Compton, we shared a cook. He worked with me, and then he went down to work for her in New Orleans, and he came to visit, and she sent a care package through him. So it's like, these are like the awesome moments, and like we're able to share joy, and we're able to share stories, and we're able to share ingredients. I think it's extremely important, and like that's the best part of having this national community of chefs. And we forget that there are these amazing joyous times that and we're all able to be connected and it's extremely important my relationship with these chefs is just as important as my relationships with the young cooks that are coming up under me and who i want to take under my wing because we all have different experiences and we all did live in different parts of the country and we all have shared experiences and some things are just different and we can talk to each other and i think that's extremely important that's like this piece of community that is really one of the best parts of working in this industry to me at least. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I'd like to give the guest an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Yeah, for sure. I think the past few years have been extremely challenging. And I think one way or another, we're going to get through it stronger. I think it's unfortunate that so many restaurants and bars and amazing institutions have had to close and are still closing. And it's heartbreaking. And I know so many of my colleagues have had such a challenging time and a lot of personal issues in terms of dealing with the pandemic as well. Portland, Oregon, is we have quite our own few challenges in terms of vandalism still happening, break-ins. So I think that's probably something that's going on around the country as well. There's still a sense of lawlessness around it all, but I'm committed to doing my part because I feel very lucky and very grateful. I haven't been in fight or flight mode. You know, I've been kind of absorbing and planning. And I really hope Khan stands as a low light of hope in terms of American dining in the way that I know to create a great restaurant, it takes far more than food and service. Those are just the surface elements of it. It really takes having a strong team, a happy team, and a restaurant that's really kind of pushing diversity and equity and and all these things that have been missing in our industry for far too long. So I want to encourage everyone to, if they have the ability to keep fighting, that I do believe things are going to turn around because this is a beautiful industry. And it's not just about us. It's about the farmers and the fishers and the growers and the immigrant field workers. And there's a whole ecosystem that's based on all our great restaurants. And if we can keep fighting a little bit longer and keep doing our part, we can kind of keep that ecosystem going. And for me, I want to do my part. And maybe things get better this summer. Maybe things get better in a year. But at the end of the day, things are going to get better eventually. And we just have to hold on tight as much as we can. That's Gregory Gorday. For more on The Chef, visit GregoryGorday.com. 
If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.